Oh, hey, we're live. All right, so um, today we're in Matthew 15, 21 through 39. Uh, let's take a moment. Uh, let's, let's just pray. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you uh, for your word. Lord, we honor your word. Lord, we honor you through your word. Lord, we believe that it speaks to us. And Lord, we ask that today as we dive into... Uh, just this crazy section, Lord, we ask that you would um, speak to us what you want to speak. Uh, and Lord, help us to see the beauty uh, that's that's here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So um, th- this is one of those, those chapters. Do you ever like just like have a chapter that you, you don't know that you really, like it's controversial enough, you don't know that you really want to do anything with it. But then like, People like me set up schedules so that we have to teach all of the Bible uh, and you can't avoid any of it. Today is one of those passages. So um, it's going to be good. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll all dive in together. So we're going to start off. We're going to read verses 21 through 31. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the last sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him, and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Uh, so Ellie and I have talked about this several times throughout the years. This is one of her least favorite sections because it looks like Jesus is kind of being a little bit of a jerk. Um, so I, I want to propose what I think is taking place here. Um, and, and I think that, I don't know if Luke, you teach, right? Like you teach flute. Maybe you do this sometimes when you're, when you're teaching, uh, but like you, you actually see this a lot in martial arts uh, when people are learning. Like, do, do you guys remember Karate Kid? When uh, the, I think it's the first one where he he's like telling him to wax, wax on, like wax the car, and then paint the fence, right? And like he tells them to do these things, and he thinks this is this stupid waste of time. And really, all along, he's preparing him for something down the road. And then when it comes time, all he has to do is shout out a command as he goes to punch him. And because he knows the command, all he has to do is, you know, the motion. And it it does exactly what he wanted. Uh, In fact, you see this later on uh, in in, like maybe in in fluting. Um, We've done this before, sometimes with teaching, where you have somewhere you want them to go, but you want them to get there on their own. Uh, as a parent, there are times when, I don't know if you want to call it baiting uh, or not, but but really what you're trying to do is like 
Uh, here's the conclusion here, you know, and I want you to get there, but I want it to be your idea. Uh, and so you put things out there, like to get them to think, to get them to, to, to arrive at the destination on their own versus you handing them the answer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, there, there are a lot of times, especially uh, for, for me, like one of the things that I think is important is that people think that they think for themselves, that they look at evidence for themselves, that they don't just take whatever anybody, even me, tells them for granted, that, that they're willing to wrestle with the contexts, that they're wrestling with the material, that they're wrestling with the information and saying to themselves, is this really true? Uh, and I believe that this is kind of what Jesus is doing with uh, this woman. Um, where he, he, his, his, uh, in James, I'm, I'm just going to go there real quick and I'm going to read it to you. Um, one of the, the mission of our church, right? Like we believe that this is the mission. We talk about this every once in a while that we, we want to reach 10% of the population of Whitley County, which is roughly 3,200 people. This doesn't mean we need a church of 3,200 people. It just means we want to see this many people be discipled because of our church, whether that's at our church, whether that's somewhere else, whatever. Uh, with that, though, um, our mission to do that is we want to grow mature disciples. How do you spell that? Mature. Jeez. There we go. I got it eventually. We want to grow mature disciples. Well, sometimes when you're growing things, uh, you, you put them in a situation so that they can grow. Things We all have to be in the right environments. Plants need to be in the right environments. They have to have specific conditions or they won't grow. Uh, I believe that God has conditions that he, he puts us in so that we can grow. They're just uncomfortable. Uh, so if we look at James, if I can find it, uh, chapter 1, he says this, starting in verse 2, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may become mature and complete, lacking nothing. Uh, according to this, Testing or trials leads to endurance, which leads to maturity. Um, I believe that what the point of this is uh, that the, the, the word that kind of sums all of this up is faith. Uh, that the test, what the point of the test is, what it's going to do through endurance, it's going to determine your faith. Like you're going to be willing to endure more the more faith you have. Uh, like, re remember, um, <laughs> like when, when you see, uh, and, and actually leading up to today's chapter, several different times we've had issues where uh, Jesus, right, like he sends the, them across the crowd the last time he feeds a large crowd, right? And 
He sends the disciples ahead. He goes up after John the Baptist, right? That's that was earlier. Mm-hmm. I taught it Monday, so I'm trying to remember because <laughs> uh, I recorded it ahead of time. Uh, and, and so he sends the disciples, and he comes to catch up to them, walking on the water. And then he he gets out. Uh, Peter gets out of the boat. He, he walks up to him. He starts to sink, and Jesus saves him. And his words to him are what? Little faith. You have little faith. Like in the end, the whole thing was a test of faith. Peter says, call me to come to you. He does. He calls him. He gets out. He goes. He's acting in faith. And then it goes. But he's just saying, look, uh, today you failed the test, so to speak. You need more more faith. You need to grow your faith. Uh, He's testing. Do you believe who God is, who God said he is? Uh, And so in this particular case, what I think is happening is Jesus is testing this woman. Uh, So let's let's dive in here. And let's kind of examine this through the lens of Jesus testing. So, uh, okay, verse 21. When he left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, is Tyre and Sidon, is that in Israel? No. No, it's not. So in order to get there, he's he's having to leave the nation of Israel, the, the physical boundaries of that community. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out. So why is it important that he names her nationality? She's a Canaanite. Why is that important? There's a history there. There is a history there, mm-hmm. which would be they killed them all. They were supposed to. So they were yeah. supposed to. Right, right. In the Old Testament, uh, one of the parts that uh, people with the gift of mercy really struggle with, right, is is that this, this nation, the the nation of Canaan, has been judged. God has has said, "Look, uh, your sin has reached its its point of no return." He's judging them. And he sends the nation of Israel. Two specifically to wipe them out because they've been judged. They are unrepentant of their sin. Uh, that's uh, you can find that in Deuteronomy where he talks about that. And so um, the the nation of Israel goes into the land of Canaan. They're supposed to take out all of the towns. They're supposed to wipe everybody out, but they don't. Right. Uh, and it's because of their disobedience that they don't. Now, obviously, some of that probably was, you know. Uh, divine predestined to be that way. But either way, uh, like it happens, but they're supposed to wipe them out. So it is interesting that the people that are left over kind of become this major thorn in the side of Israel. Uh, they, they are accused multiple times of leading the people of Israel astray, like getting them to believe in their gods, uh, encouraging them to in, engage in Lots of different types of sins, uh, all of which revolve around idolatry. And so uh, because of this, it it is really important that when, as a Jew, because Matthew is writing specifically to a Jewish audience, when you see the word Canaanite, it should create a rise in you. Uh, Think about it like this. If uh, the the way that... uh, you know, political commentators, uh, when when they're discussing whoever the opposition in their minds would be, like 
the anger that they get, like that, like I know we're all Americans and we need to be on the same side, but I really hate your ideologies. Uh, that kind of disgust, so to speak, that takes place, that's what they would have felt. Uh, an absolute distaste. Uh, and so these are Jews who are withdrawing to an area in Tyrone Now, according to Mr. France here, he, he assumes that they, they're not going into the town necessarily to talk to people, but more so that they're withdrawing because of the language, because it says he withdrew to the area of Tyrone That it's like it's more like he's just trying to get out of Israel to get away from the crowd. He's, he's trying to take a break. Uh, and so I do think that this is important, that as for all of us, uh, if Jesus needs a break, so do you. <laughs> Some of you need to hear this. Take a break. Uh, I need to hear this. Take a break. Uh, we, we need to recognize that, like we talked about, I think it was last week when Dan talked about rest. Uh, rest can take place in a break. God tells people to take breaks. He tells them to take a Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath would be like Friday night through Saturday night, uh, where basically you are doing nothing. Uh, the, the point of it is so that your body can rejuvenate. Not only that, like there's a point when Jesus says that the Sabbath wasn't created for, uh, for what was it, but for man. With the intention of, like, your body needs actual rest. Uh, you can only go so long before you burn out. Uh, people stress themselves out because they work so much all the time. They're always going, going, going. It creates a crazy amount of stress. And then it creates, what? Physical issues in their body. And they have to go to the doctor and they have to get all kinds of crazy pills. Why? Because they choose not to take a break. And imagine... Uh, if we all did... Now, the other side of this is some, some of us, especially in the live stream, uh, some of us need to also recognize that the, the other part of this is they are commanded to work six days. Uh, like, there, there is a heavy emphasis of work. Like, we need to work. Uh, your body also, in the same way it needs you to take a break, it needs you to work. Uh, it needs you to be out and to move. And that's why when people retire... Uh, I, I don't know, I think we all know somebody who does this, that when they just like up and quit everything, they're not involved in sports, they're not like out exercising, they're not uh, involved in like a part-time job, and they just kind of sit around doing nothing, uh, even if they just go to church once a week, like they waste away and they die really early. Uh, why? Because they're not doing anything. You're, our bodies were designed to work. Uh, from the get-go, from the creation of mankind, uh, we, which we believe in, right? We believe in the Genesis account that God created the world in six days, seven days, uh, six days, and then he rested on the seventh day, that when he created mankind, what does he do? He puts him in a place and then gives him a job. Uh, before the woman ever comes along, he gives Adam a job. We were designed to be people who work but we were also designed to have limits. Otherwise, we'll try to do everything on our own. And part of the reason why we have to take a break is because it puts us in a place to where we're dependent on God. And even Jesus is showing us the importance of getting away and taking the break. Even if he doesn't need it, he knows that the disciples need it. That's why they're going with him. 
just then the Canaanite woman came out of that region and came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Uh, when you see this, what is something that like comes to mind? What is unique here? The son of David. Son of David. Who is David? Just in case somebody doesn't know. Old Testament king. He, yeah. He, he's considered like the king, right, of, of Israel. Like he would be the most notable, not the first, but like the maybe the most righteous. Uh, he has like a promise, right, that God gives him that the Messiah would be a son of David. So like the, the throne would stay within his line. So this title is incredibly important. Uh, we see that even from, from chapter one, when we see the, the genealogy that's there, one of the things that he is trying to emphasize in this is to prove that Jesus is the son of David, that he's in the, the throne line so to speak. <laughs> this is probably a dumb idea, but uh, have you guys ever seen The Court Jester? It, it's a movie with Danny Kaye. Uh, there's, so the, the basics, it's an old movie. I'm sorry. I watch, I, I grew up watching old movies. I can't help it. Uh, so, so basically the, the storyline is this. It's similar to Robin Hood where uh, this, this bad guy takes over the kingdom. He wipes out this whole family line except for a baby, and that the family is marked by a birthmark. Everyone in the family has the same birthmark, and it is a flower, a purple pimpanel uh, flower mark on the butt. Uh, and so uh, we, basically, uh, Danny Kaye's character, his role in this sort of rebel army type like group, like Robin Hood is uh, almost, uh, they call him the black fox. And so like his job is when people are signing up, the way that they know they're signing up to follow the true king is Danny Kay's job is to flash the butt of the baby <laughs> to everybody. They walk through the line and, and he goes, Psh, and they go, your majesty. And they go, <laughs> anyway. Uh, but <laughs> while it's super dumb, in, in many ways, when you belong to a kingdom who heavily believes in the monarchy, this is a big deal. Now to us, we don't care because we vote for our people, um, but for people that belong to a culture that revolves around this, and not only that, this is a culture that is taken over by a culture they despise. Uh, and they they have been waiting. There are multiple sects of, of groups that, that that are trying to by force uh, rise up and kind of you know throw the Roman Empire off of them. These these are Jews. A monarchy means like a king, like the England is a monarchy, sort of. They 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 used to be in name. Yeah. Uh, they, they still have kind of a democratic process, but basically it just means you have a king and a, and a queen and they rule with absolute power and authority. Yeah, there you go. Yeah? Anyone want to argue that? Okay, there we go. Thank, thank you, Glenn. Uh, they, yeah, so, so for them, as Jews who are 
taken by this Roman emperor. Uh, in, they're, they're captives in their own land. Now, they have some permission to worship the way they want to worship. But in their minds, uh, they are looking at all these prophecies that are in the Old Testament that say that they're supposed to be the ones to rule the world, <laughs> in, in a matter of speaking. That through them is going to come this Messiah, this guy who's going to throw off, uh, the, you know, the, these, the Romans. He's going to throw off all of the, the conquerors. He's going to set their people free and he's going to establish righteousness and he will reign from Jerusalem. So in their minds, the disciples, even as they sign up to follow Jesus, they think this dude is going to overthrow Rome. So when they see this, the son of David, clearly this is a woman who understands the messianic side of the Jewish history. Enough to bring it up. Whether or not she's like, oh yeah, let's go ahead and conquer the world. I, we, nobody knows that for sure. But she knows it enough that she knows if you want Jesus' attention, if you want the disciples' attention, this is something you throw out there to get their, them to stop and talk to you. Uh, you know, um, not only that, she calls him what? Lord. Lord. Now, According to, to Mr. France here, he doesn't, like, this is not, like, the, the super popular, like, uh, like, this, he, he thinks that this word is more like, it's just like a title, like we would say, Mr. or something like that. Not meaning, even though it means Lord, it is a title, it is a, a term of respect, uh, you know, but it, it's not necessarily, it's not a guarantee that what the way she means it means like what they would mean in like Psalms or something like that. Um, any thoughts? No, I mean, yeah, yeah that's, that's probably, I mean, I think France is probably... Mr. France. Yeah. With, no, someday I'll remember it's Artie France. Yeah. But uh, maybe he would, would not be offended. Is he still alive? No, yeah. I hope he's not offended that I call him Mr. <laughs> he might be uh, alive. He may, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's keep going. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Now, I, I do think that this is really interesting here. Uh, she's tormented. What does tormented mean to you? Like, if you had to define torment. Harassment. Harass, yeah. And almost like a constant. Like, there's... If you're being tormented by something, there's no breaks. Yeah. Uh, what was the other one? Somebody said harass, constant, no breaks. Uh, torture. 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 Yes. Any, anything else? When you think of the word torment, what do you think? Bound. Bound? Right, to, to Teresa's point, where it's... I mean, Less anguish. Anguish, yeah. yeah. Yeah, where it's, I mean, uh, the nature of the affliction is compounded because it's something that you don't actually have control of. A absolutely, um, yeah. So it's bad enough as it is, and when you know that there's really nothing that you can do about it, like, it's it's almost as bad as, like, your involuntary bodily reactions. That you're just like, oh, I can't. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so so I, when I think of this, um, I, this is probably not anywhere close to politically correct, but it was the way that they call it. 
uh, like Tourette's. Uh, you, like when it forces you, like there's like a tick in your body that makes you do something. I used to, to mow lawns with this guy. When, when I met him, they said, hey, just so you know, he has Tourette's. My brother had like been diagnosed with something like that. And he would do this with his hands all the time. But that was it. This guy would be like driving and he just kept going like this. I'm like, what in the world is he looking at? I, I thought I was in trouble because he kept looking at me at one point. Then realized, oh, he does that all the time. Like that, that was his tick. Was like he would just turn and look. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how in the world he never got in a car accident. But um, <laughs> like to me, like when I think of that, like even though it, like it's not necessarily that he's in pain when he does it, it's absolutely un, un, un involuntary. Uh, like he can't help it. Like it, it happens whether he wants it to or not. Um, Prisoner. Prisoner. Sure. Like these are all words that I think accurately describe what uh, the mother is probably trying to get at. Probably very in a lot of pain. Um, one thing I think it's important to recognize is that when it comes to like demonic affliction, possession, all of those sorts of things, on the whole, this is something that essentially every culture of within that framework, regardless of wherever it is that you come from, they take as a given, as a, yeah. as, as a phenomenon that each of them like recognize uh, as being like just like, a reality. Sure. Um, and, and not one that could, could that you could necessarily um, dismiss away by some kind of like medical diagnosis. Sure. Where they have yeah. some kind of categorical distinction between this is really what the body is doing, but then de demonic possession, like it's a real thing. It happens a lot. There's, there's, um, uh, I guess we would say like, uh, um, you know, uh, um, like wonder workers or powers or sorcery that, that, that can sort of, uh, um, have some kind of way of bargaining maybe with, mm. with, um, with these demonic forces to get them to cooperate, but nothing like in comparison even comes close to the, the miracles that are described in, in, in the, the, uh, in the gospels. But it's, it's, it's the sort of thing that as far as like the nature of the problem, everybody recognizes this is a reality. Yeah. Um, which is very different from, from where we stand. In, in, in other words, you're never going to have a Jew or anybody go, she's, that's not a thing. No. no. She's not really demon-possessed. Nobody ever argues when somebody goes, oh, somebody's demon-possessed. Nobody goes, oh, no, we don't believe in that. Right. Like, never. Uh, like, you, you're, you don't have a sect of Jewishness that doesn't believe in demonic possession. Yeah, even the Sadducees would admit. Even if they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't. Like, you, you can't rise again. But right. you can be demon possessed. <laughs> Something like uh, that. So, which is, <laughs> which is really important to note, uh, just how drastic some like churches that don't believe in any kind of demon possession, uh, just like how far off from what the original understandings would have been. Um, so, let's keep going. She is tormented by a demon. Uh, and Jesus 
did not say a word to her. Now, does anybody else find that odd? Yes. <laughs> Why? Why do we find that odd? He's never not replied to somebody in these situations that's recorded anyway. Yeah. He said something. Yeah. He, if When people are, are sitting on the side of the road and they're shouting him down, usually he takes the time to stop and chit-chat. Uh, we, we don't see any other instance, uh, even in the case of the centurion, he still talks to the centurion. Uh, you know, and so here we go. It, it, it goes on to say, Jesus didn't say a word. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying out after us. Now, um, Mr. France here suggests that he thinks what they're really saying is something more along the lines of, could you just heal her already and get her, like, she's annoying, heal her daughter so we can get on with our break. Jesus, I mean, the way he's approaching this problem is a little more like the way I approach problems is that if I ignore them long enough, they'll go away. <laughs> <laughs> like if we just don't talk to her, then she's not there, she'll just leave. Like, you, when, when you have six kids, if you do that to your kids, your house turns pink. <laughs> Yeah, well, yesterday it was uh, black paint. Uh, we had black paint all over that room over there. Because anyway, he's also waiting to see how she's going to respond. That—that's exactly what she's doing, but she doesn't know that. All she knows is she's got a demon-possessed daughter. She's heard testimonies of Jesus doing something about stuff like that. Even if it's through the grapevine, hey, like the centurion guy, at least his daughter got healed. He's in the middle of nowhere. She's chasing him down. She's persistent. She's persistent. And it's, it's, it's possible also to know that, I mean, it is unusual for, I mean, the circumstances would have to be extraordinary for the Jews who want to have to retreat to tie inside it yeah. does. I mean, so that it's it's possible. I don't know if France would say that that that, um, that, uh, that she doesn't necessarily know when this is going to have an opportunity like this again. Yeah. Like. Right. Yeah. 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 If if you had a kid that had a severe illness, uh, demon possessed or not, uh, right? Like. Would you not go to any extreme to see that they're okay? Uh, you know, like no matter what it took. Uh, have you guys ever? This is this is probably gonna get me in trouble, but there's a movie called John Q with Denzel Washington uh, where he basically holds up this hospital because his kid needs a transplant and they won't do it. So he holds up this hospital and forces this like this doctor to do the transplant. Even though he knows he's going to go to jail, he's probably going to get shot. Uh, he doesn't care. I need my kid to be better. At any expense, this is the attitude that this parent has. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, I'll see that it's done. Even if that means, uh, in this particular case, I'll throw off all of the cultural standards and barriers and do it anyway. Whatever it takes. Send her away because she's crying out after us. And then it says, he replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, so let's, let's put 
Hmm. I'm totally spelled that wrong. Right? No. I was right the first time? Well, I have them both there, so I just read it however you want to read it. It's good for the dyslexics. Yeah. So Jesus, uh, we see in Matthew 10, right? Like there's this real huge emphasis that Jesus has when he sends out the disciples that his calling is first and foremost to the nation of Israel. Uh, theologically speaking, you see it really well and very clear in the book of Romans where he's saying that God knew all along, even in the promise he makes to Abraham, that the intention has always been for the nations to be blessed, for the nations to be saved, but he's going to do it through the line of Abraham, through the line of David. He's going to do it through the nation of Israel. In their minds, they think that they have like some kind of, you know, uh, what do they call it? Uh, DNA hierarchy type thing. They think they're better than everybody else because they're the ones that bless everybody. But that's not, that's not the truth. Uh, it is the truth, though, that Jesus comes from their family. So with this, though, they know, even through Messianic prophecy, Jesus is supposed to come to restore the nation of Israel first so that then everybody else can be blessed. And you see that because in, in the book of Romans especially, we see that it's clear that because of what Jesus does through the nation of Israel and because they choose to reject them, it opens it up then for the Gentiles, who is literally everyone who isn't a Jew, uh, so that we can also be saved. And so with that, what his target audience is, is the Jews. Like, he's not being mean. He's not, he, he's not trying to be like, oh, we hate these guys. Uh, in, in fact, because he would know that that's later. Like, we're going to send people later. It's just not now. Uh, he's, not, he's not being a jerk, um, even though there are people that think he is. Uh, and what's interesting to me, last night when I was reading this, this is the first time I ever thought this, and then I read Mr. France, and he backed it up. Uh, it looks as if he's not even talking to her. Uh, like that when he says, I was sent only to the last sheep of Israel, this is a reply to the disciples. As if she's like still kind of on her way to him. Uh, like, you know, if I were a good drawer, you know, in a comic book, she'd be still coming uh, and hasn't arrived yet. And they're like, hey, could you please send her away? Heal her, get it, get it done with. Whatever, whatever they're asking, they just want her gone. They want the annoyance to be gone. And she's still coming, and he's like, look, I, she's, she's not my cookie. Like, like in, in other words, you, you could almost say it, it's like it, she's out of my jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that, no, no, but that, that's, that's probably one of the best ways to put it. Or, like, when... when you know that you have a responsibility to a particular jurisdiction. Like, you know, like when, when if you're, um, uh, you know, like a cop chase going across counties. Yeah. Is that, that you're, you're actually, you know, uh, you know, APB, you know, calling in on other guys to say, like, we're chasing this guy. He's going into your county. You picked him up or follow him after. Yeah. He's your problem. Or, or, they, or they give you the permission to work within their county. Yes. Right, right. But, but even then... Like, it, it, it's kind of confusing for some people because Jesus is, he is Lord of all. Uh, he, he is Lord of the Canaanites too, but he wasn't sent for them yet. 
Like his mission isn't on that. And one of the things that I think for all of us that's really important is that like when God gives you a specific calling, like even though there is authority under the name of Jesus to do all these other things, if it's not within what you've been asked to do, to go outside of that is disobedience. Uh, you, you often will hear it in, in phrases like this, stay in your lane. Mm. Uh, like, I, <laughs> so think, things happen when you're not in your lane. Uh, like there, there was a time, one time when I borrowed my dad's tractor uh, and a tree fell on it while I was trying to do something good to help somebody out by pulling them out of a ditch. The tree fell on it. It would have never happened if I would have done the proper thing, because I didn't ask for permission, uh, you know, and my dad probably would have said yes. Uh, but the liability fell on me instead of on my dad because I was out of my lane, because I was out of my jurisdiction. Uh, I technically stole a tractor <laughs> to help somebody else. Um, but this is the kind of thing that Jesus is wrestling with, is this isn't my mission uh, to the disciples. But she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. Uh, at this point, she, she's getting down right in front of him. She's in his face. Lord, help me. <laughs> and he answered, it isn't right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Uh, we, we saw this earlier, right? Where, where Jesus has said, says something like, don't take pearls and give them to swine. Um, and um, it, it's it's this thing that um, like they'll get it eventually, but it's it's not yet. Like you're gonna feed the dogs, uh, but in this particular case, it, it's really interesting that he uses this description to say uh, that her people almost is is dogs. And what Mr. France here was talking about is how like there isn't a culture in the world that thinks calling somebody a dog is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Although I think we're working on it here. Uh, we're, we're almost there. Maybe in Seattle, they're like, yes, that's a compliment. <laughs> we wouldn't give it to dogs. Yes, we would. We'd feed them better than us. Uh, we'd feed them better than the kids. It isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Mm -hmm. Uh, she recognizes, number one, I think this is really important for us. Like, this is a woman who is operating from a place of humility. She doesn't argue with Jesus. Yeah. Like, she doesn't say, no, uh, we are as deserving as the Israelites. Uh, I'm not a dog. <laughs> I'm a person, too. Right? Like, she doesn't do stuff like that. Um she, she recognizes the theology behind what is going on well enough that she doesn't even argue with it. But she is persistent nonetheless. Why? I believe because she believes, she has faith that this is the guy that can help my daughter. And I need him to recognize that. And I believe that this is all on purpose, that the discussion Jesus has with the disciples the discussion he has with her is basically just saying, I'm, I want to do it for you. Are you willing to come get it? Yeah. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. 
Let it be done for you as you, you want. There's only two times in Matthew where he says somebody's faith is great. And that is both in instances where they're non-Israelites, they're non-Jews. The centurion and this Canaanite woman. I personally, one of the reasons why I think Jesus is doing what he's doing and wording things the way he's wording is because I think he knows she has the faith. And I think that he's putting on an illustration for the disciples to show them. They, they have left everything to follow Jesus. Uh, you know, they have seen the feeding of the 5,000. They, they've seen Jesus, uh, like earlier, he does the, uh, uh, the miraculous, uh, where, where the, the fishing in the net, right? Like Peter catches this crazy amount of fish, this miraculous catch. Jesus walks on the water. They see time and time again where God with us, Emmanuel, is, is showing them he's Lord over creation, he's Lord over people, he's Lord over territories. And I think that part of the reason why Jesus chooses to come here to take a break in particular is to show them what great faith looks like. I don't, I don't see that wording in the text, but to me, this, this is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus would do, is that he's trying to show them, look, here is somebody who understands humility. They understand their place. They know that they are absolutely 100% unworthy of the miracle, yet they believe in who I am. So much so that against all odds, against all cultural barriers, that they're still willing to put up with it, to put up with the disgrace, knowing I believe you're going to do what I ask for. It kind of makes you wonder if she was in the crowd, you know, at the time when Jesus says that whatever you ask for, uh, in my name, ask, uh, ask, seek, knock, right? When he says, if you keep on asking, uh, you know, that maybe she hears these kinds of things and she believes, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where she's getting this faith, but she knows Jesus can absolutely heal her daughter. Hmm. Uh, and I believe that the point of telling this story is that Jesus, Matthew, I think he's trying to say a couple of things. Number one, the disciples need to learn to have great faith. Number two, we need to learn to have great faith. And number three, that he's Lord over even places that aren't technically in his jurisdiction. Uh, that, go ahead. No, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing to me, particularly how, how it is that the, the, the two instances where Matthew really emphasizes not, this isn't just talking about faith or little faith, but in this case, when faith is the biggest, you know, here, it's in these two examples. But that these two examples of great faith don't also come out with some great humility. Absolutely. And, and yeah. so that in some measure or another, if we're, if we're looking at these two examples, and especially comparing them with examples where, where her faith is like small, meager, that, that there, there doesn't necessarily see, appear to be a whole lot of humility that's behind it. Yeah. Um, and which is perhaps one of the things that 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 I wouldn't say like stunts the growth of our faith, particularly because as a whole, like we're we're not really that humble people. 
Yeah. Like, like, we're just we're 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 not um, Western enlightened individuals who are very self-sufficient. Uh, who, who, who generally, especially compared to the rest of the world, just think of ourselves as just decent people. Yeah. Um, and that that somehow like God owes us something. Um, and like if there's if there's a comparison that, that Matthew draws between these wondrous signs, people who have great faith compared to people who get no signs and have who basically have no faith are the ones who also happen to be the most proud. The Pharisees and Sadducees coming yeah. to Jesus and saying, Show us a sign to prove us that you have authority to do the things you're doing. Yeah. And he's just, and you're not gonna get any of it. Yeah. Because um you 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 have no faith because um like you still believe that 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 you have some kind of authority over Jesus to be able to to somehow you know that that we are giving blessing on Jesus to be able to give him the permission to do the things that he does. right like Jesus you're lucky that we let you do these things. right right yeah. you know um, yeah. and uh, but but it's I mean I think especially in a case like this where it seems that there is some kind of correlation between the measure of somebody's faith and the measure of their humility, right. which is instructive for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which I, I don't know if I've ever actually like seen that. Yeah, all right. Sorry, there we go. I think that, you know, for me, one of the things that I, I am processing as I look at this is that like, like number one, like un- until she is kneeling before him, in in theory, Jesus is absolutely silent to her. Mm-hmm. Like he's not talking to her, even though she's talking to him. And I think that there are times when we feel like, um, you know, we're praying and we're asking the Lord and we're seeking the Lord, uh, and we're not getting an answer. Uh, in fact, the Lord is giving the other people around us answers, but not us. I, I've had a lot of conversations with, with people over the years where I am so frustrated. Why is it that God just doesn't seem to speak to me? And yet, what's interesting about this all along to me is this is, this is what I see. Uh, just don't quit. Keep going. Keep asking be persistent. Keep enduring. Believe that he will answer. Like whatever it is like that we need our miracle in. Like, like believe that he's going to answer that. Like for me, like right now, like just not having a building, meeting in houses and stuff like that. Like it creates an incredible amount of stress. Uh, you know, like... You know, trying to figure out how we're going to pay the bills, trying to figure out how we're going to feed six kids. Like all of this stuff creates insane amounts of stress. But I have a choice. Like, do I believe like this woman that if I come to Jesus, that he is who he said he would be and that he is Lord of my life and that he will take care of my needs if I do what my part is, which is to seek the kingdom and his righteousness? And then even if he's talking to the people around me, because 
Uh, I've, I've talked to a couple of different people who have given me words, and I'm like, it's so irritating because I haven't gotten anything. <laughs> like for me, I'm just like, ah. So all I have is the instructions that these other people have given me. So in the end, it, the last sentence says this here in verse 28. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Yeah, or uh, in the, um, the Greek, uh, uh, a wooden translation from that hour, which is, I mean, uh, a way of saying, like, from that, that moment. This is when yeah. he said it, and this is when it happened. Bam. She's healed. Delivered. Delivered. Uh, what's interesting to me is um, this is not, you don't know how much into the world of uh, deliverance conversations you get. Uh, very rarely do you ever see people say that somebody who's been delivered, that, that they equate it to being the same as being healed. Um, but clearly in the Bible, like that, that's a thing uh, where he, she, the demon leaves. Uh, she was exercised. Is that <laughs> exorced? I don't know. Whatever that word is. Uh, the demon leaves, and she's better. And yet, it says she's healed. Um, now, the the question then becomes: um, Was there any illness in the first place, or was all of the symptoms really just the demons, or? was the demons creating physical illness within her body and that as they left, when Jesus healed her body, he also cast the demon out. Various things to think about. Either way, she's better and the miracle happens. Uh, and so for us, like a couple of things to think about as we go forward, especially like in the nature of the church that we're in, where we, we go out and we pray for people, to recognize that, that God... Uh, still has the power to cast out demons uh, and that he still has the power to heal people uh, and that he wants to use us. And we see in the Great Commission, we see that he sends all of the disciples. Everybody who claims to be a disciple of Jesus has permission and authority to go in the name of Jesus and to do miracles and signs and wonders for his glory. Not for ours, but for his glory. And I, go ahead. Can I share something with you I just heard this week? Yeah. Um, and uh, pastor has gone through a lot in his life before he became a pastor. His name is Michael McIntosh. And uh, he was sharing, a lady had asked him to go to her hu husband, I believe it was her husband, uh, to, he was on his deathbed. And when he was there, he was not welcomed very well, very, very nasty, uh, very um, not cooperating, you know, that his presence was even welcome. And as a result of it, uh, Macintosh spoke and said, just like it was the angel had said to uh, the devil when he had uh, Moses' body. Mm -hmm. 
rebuke you. Yep. Yeah. Instantly. Yeah. Everything changed regarding that man. Yeah. And as it, as he looked at him, he says, "Do you know who I am?" He says, "Yeah, you're uh, the pastor here, and you come." And now he says, "What's up?" To him. And he says, "Well, I'm understanding you're not going to be here much longer." And we wanted to make sure that you understand that you have an opportunity to receive Jesus at mm. this point. And that uh, he's ready to receive you. And the man refused him by saying, no, I don't have, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Mm. Instantly, when he said those words, he went back to where he was before. Sure. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Well, we got a, a couple minutes left. I'd like to get a little bit further. So verse 29, moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and sat there. The large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those who were unable to speak, talking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they gave glory to the God of Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I personally, I believe that this, this is really interesting because I think um, that Matthew, uh, I've said this repeatedly, but I, I believe that what he's really after is to convince people that Jesus is God and that he is God with us, that he is Emmanuel. And that when he's saying that they gave glory to the God of Israel, that he's trying to help people to understand that people are recognizing Jesus's deity, that they are recognizing that he is the Messiah and that there, this isn't just a prophet, that, this, that he is so much more. Uh, that he is so much more than anything that they've ever heard of. He's so much more than anything they've ever seen before. And that uh, the, these miracles are confirming and are the witness to who he is. Um, going on from there, it, it says in verse 32, Jesus called the disciples and said, Compassion on the crowd because they have already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, otherwise they might collapse on the way. Um, I love this where, where it says Jesus has compassion on the crowd. Uh, so many times I, I feel like, uh, especially, I don't know if I don't know if you guys know this, but ministry can be incredibly exhausting. Um, you know, even, you know, just leading worship. Like there are times where you're like, oh, I just need to go like sleep for an hour. Like because, because it's exhausting. It's spiritually exhausting. Uh, and like preaching, uh, a lot of times takes a ton out of you, uh, you know, and the more you study uh, and the more you prepare, uh, oftentimes the harder, like, like you, the more you need that rest, so to speak. And I, I see here that Jesus, uh, he, he's having compassion on a crowd, even though it's time for them to go home. They've been with him for three days. And yet... He's like, look, they need to eat because if we send them away, they're going to faint along the way. Um, there's this idea that they're probably in the middle of nowhere. Um, 
that uh, Mr. France here suggests that like there's a there's a good chance they're just in an area where like even if they wanted to they couldn't get somewhere to buy food in time. Um, and so the disciples said to him, "Where could we get enough bread in, in this desolate place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have?" Jesus asked them. Seven, they said, and a few small fish. After commanding the crowd to sit on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks and broke them and gave them to the disciples. I think this is important. Jesus gave thanks. Give thanks for your food. <laughs> there you go. Jesus did it. We should do it. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. They collected the leftover pieces, seven large baskets full. Now there were 4,000 men who had eaten besides women and children. And after dismissing the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan, which is Donald Trump territory. <laughs> it's MAGA. No, just kidding. That was a really terrible uh, uh, Anyway, uh, this is Magadan or uh, Magdal or Magdala, uh, which would be where um, Mary Magdalene is from. Um, so what, what's interesting to me just about this stuff in closing, um, Jesus, out of compassion, does a miracle. Um, in fact, uh, I, I would wonder if at times... Um, really that all of the miracles are motivated from a place of compassion. Um, that, that in a place, uh, when you see people who are, are following you, are staying with you for three days, like that means like these people probably didn't take showers. They're probably a stinky, nasty mess. Um, I think of like places like Cornerstone. Uh, you're, you're all in the middle of nowhere and they're there because they believe in Jesus. And Jesus sees them, he has compassion on them, and he wants to meet their needs, he wants to take care of their physical needs, and he multiplies that which they have. Which to me, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard the story of like the chosen, but this this is interesting to me because you know that's this is one of the stories that he uses to kind of say, like, all I knew is this is what I had. And and God said, if you give me what you have, I'll multiply it. And so out of that comes like the chosen TV series. And so like for all of us though, like, you know, even with, with the church, even with potentially doing, you know, another Bible study or whatever, like all of this is like, what do you have? Give it to God and see what he'll do with it. Um, now, does that mean that he is going to multiply every single meal? No. Uh, in fact, there may be a time when you have to eat food like from a raven, or maybe he's going to have to send something else mir miraculous. But I think what's important is that like we don't limit God, but if we give him what we have, let him control the miracles. Let him do what he wants to do in our lives. Like if, if we're limited on finances, all we can do is offer what we have and say, God, this is all yours. This house is yours. This property is yours. Do with it what you will and see what he'll do with it. Uh, let him fill it. Let him do what he wants to do. So let's let's close. Um, Actually, I, I wanted to tell a story, too. Uh, there were two times. Uh, what, how much time do I have? When we were working for Revive, there were two different times, for sure, that we know that God uh, increased the food. Um, there was one time where uh, they had ordered Hacienda. Now, I know you can stretch some Mexican food, but uh, uh, they, had, they had bought enough food for 400 people, and 1,200 people showed up, and everyone ate. 
Like, and, and no joke, if you talk to anybody who is in, like, the staff, they're like, we didn't, like, where did this food come from? Oh, well, uh, I don't know, they just kept bringing it out of the kitchen. Uh, there was a story when we were in Kokomo that, that there were so many people that showed up for the outreach that we were doing in Kokomo that um, the, the, the church was, the first night we went for, like, the, the whatever they call it, like, the... I don't know, introductory night where you just come find out about what's going to happen, but it's the week before the outreach actually happens. There were so many people, there were five uh, bus loads of people just from Goshen that went down to Kokomo. Um, and like the building was so packed with people. There were people sitting on the stage. Uh, there were people sitting outside looking in through the windows. There were people sitting in the bus because there wasn't enough room and they were just listening to the service on the radio. There were people sitting in the parking lot and they had taken speakers and turned the speakers on. Uh, like Ellie and I were there and we got to sit like in the sanctuary, but it only happened because we were smart enough to get there six hours. Ago. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the one of the early nights for breakfast, so many people had showed up that they, they were talking about how this, the, the lady that ran the kitchen said she only put so many jugs of orange juice and eggs into the fridge. And then she kept going, and every time she would take one out, but there would be the same amount that were in there. And she goes, unless somebody is literally just putting one jug in at a time to play with them, like somebody was providing this, but they don't know where it came from. Uh, and so, like, for me, like, God still does this kind of stuff. Nobody was going... God, we need you to multiply the food. They were just going, God, we have to serve these people. What in the world do we do? I don't know. I have eggs and I have juice. And we're just going to feed the people as much as we can. And if we have to, you know, maybe we'll do something else. But they all, like, it's just crazy to me that there was always provision when we needed it, even when nobody knew that we would need it. These, this church had no clue how many people were going to show up. In both, like the night that they bought four hundred or four hundred people worth of food, the reason they did that was because there were four hundred people the night before. There hadn't been twelve hundred people yet. Why would you buy twelve hundred meals when you only think four hundred people are going to show up? Like that doesn't make. It. So anyway, just an interesting story. It's all documented. Um, so let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would grow our faith. Uh, but Lord, I, I, <laughs> uh, we recognize that that requires more testing and it requires more endurance on our part. Jesus, we, we believe that you are who Matthew said you are, that you are God with us. Lord, help us to pass the tests of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.